The following is a presentation of AOW Productions. This program contains adult content. Listener discretion is advised. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts of this program do not necessarily stand to reflect those of this station or its management. Bringing you controversy at its best with uncensored music, comedy, and political discussion. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Outlaw Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Outlaw Radio for the 24th of July, 2021. I am your host, Bad Billy. Great show lined up for you today. In just a little bit, you're going to hear an interview that I recorded with Todd Tannhauser of the band AD 2020. Yes, interesting uh, conversation I had with him. In the second hour, I have retired Army Colonel Chris Wyatt. Yes, he's been mentioned a couple of times and uh, finally have him as a guest on the show. We had an interesting conversation. So, yes, that's in the second hour. And then in the third hour, we have the Steve Solution. Before I get to all that, here is one of the latest tracks from AD 2020. This is Undivided. Be right back with the interview with Todd Tannhauser right after this. And we go a little something like this. Hit it. Now, from a rented basement, because Bad Billy's mom threw him out, it's Outlaw Radio. Street. 
Hey there, thrill seeker, rocking out to the station. I hear you, you're probably even sipping on a drink right now. An average blah blah drink in a can or bottle, one that doesn't quite hit the spot for you. I'll bet you want something different, don't you? Something more. Take your shot with Cold Cock Whiskey, the best whiskey anywhere. Why? Because it's different from other liquors. Cold Cock Whiskey is herbal whiskey. 100% all natural herbs blended with aged American whiskey. No more morning after sugar hangovers from other liquors. With Cold Cock's blend of herbs, including green tea, hibiscus, ginger, eucalyptus, and more, you'll be in herbal heaven. Cold Cock Whiskey, available at spirit stores and distributors America-wide. Find one near you at coldcockwhiskey.com. Follow Cold Cock Whiskey on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Celebrate those special moments with friends. Raise your glass. Take your shot. You must be 21 or older to drink Cold Cock Whiskey. Please drink responsibly. Because there are some people out there who need practical advice. And yes, I'm talking about you. Wisdom beyond value from the desk of Mr. Holland. If your wife comes looking for you at the bar, never ask her for her phone number. Ooh, is that Mr. Holland? Yes, ma'am. Please don't touch. Words of power. They have meaning. A people which is able to say everything becomes able to do everything. Freedom of speech. Freedom of expression. Right to free speech. It guarantees everyone a voice. In 1852, Frederick Douglass spoke out against the injustices of slavery. In 1873, Susan B. Anthony argued the prejudice of voting laws. In 1963, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. helped to end segregation laws. These voices changed history. Make your voice heard. For more information, visit www.freedomofspeechpsa.com. First, there was Cranked Up Live. This is Cranked Up Live. Then, Cranked Up Went Country. Today's best and tomorrow's greats. Cranked Up Country. Now, Cranked Up Live is back. This is a sizzling hot podcast. Cranked Up Live. Curtis McKinney and Brad Hennington will keep you listening, keep you laughing, and keep you coming back for more. Convicted felons will no longer be called convicted felons. Do you know what they want to call them, Curtis? <laughs> no. Justice-involved individuals is what they renamed them. Listen and download the podcasts at crankeduplive.com. Check them out on Facebook at facebook.com slash crankeduplive. Cranked Up Live. Some material may not be suitable for children under 18. Hey, I'm Nick, and you're listening to Outlaw Radio, where we say what the fuckity fuck we want. No exceptions. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you have just heard Undivided by AD 2020, and it is my pleasure to welcome Todd Tannhauser to the show. How you doing, brother? Hey, doing great, Bill. Thanks for having us on. Absolutely, absolutely. So for those who are not familiar with AD 2020, why don't you give a little background, tell the listeners a bit about the band? Sure. So, um... We're, we're basically a band that came together as a recording project um, at the height of the pandemic um, with some well-known players and some not-so-well-known players. And uh, we're kind of a hybrid project. Um, and uh, it's just been a, it's been a fun year. It's been a real fun project. Um, our album is due out in uh, August. 
um, a little bit about the people that are on the project. Um, myself and uh, Mark McNelly is the lead vocalist. Mark and I have worked together for about 12 years um, in, in the Pennsylvania, uh, Tri-County area, a bunch of different projects. Um, and then uh, we also have our producer, Dan Reed, from Dan Reed Network, uh, who we collaborated and co-wrote the songs with. Um, also from Dan Reed Network, we have Melvin Brannon uh, playing bass and doing some vocals. And uh, we also have uh, Ron Bumblefoot Saw from Sons of Apollo playing guitar on the album. Oh, um, nice. Playing bass. Uh, we also have Greg Smith from Ted Nugent's band. Uh, and uh, Alice Cooper and just a lot of other uh, bands that he's performed with. And then rounding it out, we also have Derek Sherinian playing some keyboards on uh, three of the songs that um, are on the album. And uh, he also worked with Greg uh, Smith years ago in Alice Cooper's band and uh, currently plays with Sons of Apollo. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of a really interesting project. There's a little thread that kind of, weaves us all together and connects us all but yeah it's, it's a pretty cool project yeah i remember talking to uh bumblefoot on this show a few years ago before there was a there was a big event in uh, vegas that uh unfortunately that event came it was it was an utter failure sadly but yeah um can't can't forget that uh, he was also part of guns and roses at one time yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Um, that was where I first uh, first time uh, was exposed with playing. I actually saw him uh, here outside of Philadelphia in Camden years ago. And um, Ron, uh, yeah, I've met him a few times. We've hung out a little bit here and there. And uh, he has a great memory. And I think he has on his phone, he has a list of all the shows that he's played. So I mentioned Camden, and it took him about 30 seconds. He went into a notepad or whatever he had on his phone. He's like, yeah, Camden. And, you know told me the date and told me who the warm-up band was. And uh, I was like, wow, I forgot about who the warm-up band was. So, yeah, he runs, runs great. Oh, another thing I can tell you about him, too, is uh, remember that time that uh, I saw him and he was with the band uh, Art of Anarchy. And um, they they were getting ready to play, and uh, they, they ha already had some music playing just before uh, their set started. And so whatever was playing overhead, it, he was using that to tune up his guitar. So, and, and he actually made whatever whatever uh, preset music they they had playing, he made it sound a little bit better. Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> He's incredible. I saw him, I saw him uh, back in April of this year. He, he did uh, a solo show out in uh, Pittsburgh, and I, I flew out to hang out, you know, with him and some, some friends out there. But um, one of the previous bands came out and they did this uh, heavy version of, of a Michael Jackson tune uh, from uh, his days uh, with the Jackson 5. And when Ron, just like what you're describing, Ron was warming up, he launched into the song and he's playing his double neck and he's playing one neck with one hand and one hand with the other and just like whipped out the song, you know. He's, he's incredible. He, he, he does... Uh, a lot of songs and, and just an incredible musician. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what he was doing in Vegas. Was uh, exactly what you're describing was with the double neck. Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, due to this uh, this uh, pandemic or scamdemic, whatever it may be, <laughs> you know, I've I've heard 
heard plenty of terms given for it. Um, it does it does look like because I I haven't seen a, an actual band picture, so I take it uh, you've all had to do the uh, thing a sep uh, separate recording where somebody co yeah. co covers the guitar and passes it. He, passes it on to somebody else and then he'll cover the drums somebody else get the vocals you know and have to complete it that way am i correct in assuming that yeah no exactly so i mean just to kind of give you the the overall uh, process how we did it so you know we started talking about this probably last may and mm -hmm. um you know i was having a conversation with dan reed who, who's a good friend of ours and, and produced the album and everything and he said, yeah, you know, I can write songs with you guys. You know, if you guys got material and stuff, we can, you know, we can definitely get that going. And he's like, well, who do you, you know, who else are you going to have to play on the album? And, uh, and again, I, right around that time, I was listening to a lot of stuff that Bumblefoot was doing. He put out a couple of acoustic albums in the early days of the pandemic. And I was just blown away by him. And, I mean, I had met Ron probably six months to a year earlier. And, um, you know, I was just blown away by the acoustic album so his music was in my head all the time and i told dan i said you know i know greg smith i've met him and, and he's close by i said maybe i could talk him into playing bass on on some of this stuff since he's home and not you know on the road with ted nugent and stuff and um he said well who are you going to get to play guitar and i said bumblefoot and he just looked at me like you know i had three heads or something you know he thought this was never going to happen and um you know, I guess Dan had did a show with uh, Sons of Apollo over in, over in uh, Europe, so he was definitely familiar with Ron and his, his material and knew Derek and, and some other people. So, yeah, so, you know, it was it was exactly the process you're describing. We had worked with Dan, and we wrote uh, songs together. Uh, we had some demos that were put together early in, uh, I'd say June, you know, July. They were probably finished, and... Um, we started recording in September, so I went into Philadelphia to a studio in Philadelphia and started cutting the drum tracks uh, for what made up the album in September. And uh, we kind of, you know, we had a meeting. It was kind of like, you know, we got together and I kind of played project manager in a Zoom call. And, yeah, you know, they're all looking at me like, you're, you're wanting to take on this thing, you know, this beast of a project? And I'm like, yeah, let's, let's see if we can make it happen. And... Um, you know, Mark uh, came in second, and so he did his he did his vocals against the raw demos, and then from there, it kind of became the process that you're talking about, where uh, the next thing was bass, and and Greg Smith started laying down all his bass tracks and stuff, and it was around this time also that um, Melvin Brannon, who is also a bass player uh, with Dan Reed Network, and I've known Melvin for you know more than twenty years. Um, he had heard some of the demos. I guess Dan had played him some of the stuff, and he liked the songs. So he said to Dan, I'd love to play on that album. You know, you think Todd would want me to play on a track or two? And as soon as I heard that, I was like, absolutely. So uh, we pulled aside um, one track for Melvin and then another piece of something that he played on. But Greg was doing his bass parts, and then it kind of became the... Um, time for Dan Reed to start laying down his parts, and Dan played some keyboards, uh, guitars, did a lot of background vocals, and um, then kind of the last thing on, on the, you know, the, as far as the instruments were the guitars, and um, Ron worked on guitars, you know, for a few months, and um, with everyone, really, it was 
kind of like, you know, every time I would get a new file that somebody would send over, it was like Christmas because as soon as I would get the audio files, I'd load them up into my system and it was like, you know, this is what the song sounded like. So, you know, on this day and the next day it changed so much because, you know, now we had real bass and now we had real keyboards and now we had real, you know, uh, guitars and stuff. So yeah, it was, it was so cool. It was just a real, and yeah, I played them for everybody all the time. My, my wife uh, heard the tracks as they were coming together. My family, I, <laughs> I inundated them with the music the whole time, you know? So yeah, they were, they've been really supportive. <laughs> yes. So. Yes. And, um, I have to take it. The song that I just played undivided is kind of, kind of, uh, Kind of points that direction too. That uh, even though uh, basically during during the lockdowns, the during the hype of the uh, pandemic, here here we are basically uh, all a bunch of shut-ins, a society of shut-ins. But uh, yet uh, you want to say we're still undivided? Is is that? Am I assuming correctly? Yeah. So you know, it was it was one of those things. I mean, we had. Um, we had written two songs prior to Undivided. Uh, we had written uh, the title track on the album, Ricochet. And we also, um, I said title track, the uh, the lead off track from the album. Um, but um, yeah, we did Ricochet and we did the second track, Finding My Faith. And those were done. And uh, we kind of took a moment to breathe and, and kind of figured out, okay, we got two songs in, where are we going next? And it was around that time um, I was, writing stuff too and i had some thoughts on my phone i what i tend to do i tend to throw down thoughts on my phone and i'll go back and i'll visit them you know and pull them out and try and turn them into, into songs and uh you know i was just kind of watching the news and what was going on here in the u.s and what was going on in the world and uh you know the opening lines of that song i had that and it was really strong and it was really powerful and i decided okay now's the time let me go and finish this and so yeah i set out probably about two hours and and wrote you know the majority of the lyrics for um undivided and you know dan uh took it and um added a few things to it and he came back to me with the whole undivided it originally had a different title um and uh his thought on the whole thing was we're you know we're together we're undivided and it was just a great take on on uh, the lyrics and the words that i had um, and we just worked great as a team, you know, on it. And, uh, so yeah, it was just my, you know, it was, it was my, um, thoughts about what was going on, what I was watching, what I was seeing going on in the world. And, uh, just the idea of how, you know, we're better than this. We could pull together and, you know, work on the body. So. There you go. There you go. Now, so uh, have all of you had a chance to actually come together and uh, rehearse or play live or anything uh, of that nature just yet? Or no, um, you know it's funny. Um, you know we're from a lot of different projects and different things going on, and and uh, you know what I like to refer to us as uh, nowadays is we're we're the untraveling Wilburys. Um, you mm-hmm. know, it's uh, everybody. Traveling Wilburys, you know, the great supergroup or whatever, but yeah, we're the untraveling Wilburys. Um, we've been together, you know, Mark, we all know each other. Um, we've all met each other. We've all been in rooms with each other at some point in time. Um, so for instance, last year during the pandemic, uh, we had the demos done and I had a little small 
very small get-together here at my house, outside on my patio, where we played the demos to a bunch of different people. And Mark um, and Bumblefoot and myself were able to get together at that. And so that was the closest that was to, the, to all of us being in the room together. Uh, I see Greg Smith um, periodically, probably every four to six weeks, I connect with him somewhere. He's doing a gig or something. I'll, I'll travel, go go hang out or whatever. Um, Dan Reed is in Prague, uh, Czech Republic. So uh, have, I've not seen him in a couple. You know, it's a couple years now, I guess, since we've been together. So yeah, we're all spread out. Melvin Brannon is in uh, California, and uh, and of course Derek, you know, who's played some of the tracks. He's also out there. So we're all spread out. We've not all been in the room at the same time. Um, there may come a time when that happens somewhere or someplace. Um, people ask us, you know, are we going to tour together? And, and my answer to that is, is probably not. You know, I mean, it's um, everybody has their own projects that they're involved in, you know, major artists and, and things like that. I, I don't see that happening. Um, you may see a few of us get together and, and do something. It could be a one-off event. It could be, you know, guesting. It could be something along those lines, but um, yeah, we all have you know highest respect for each other, and um, you know we'll do whatever we can to um, you know play when when we can and if it makes sense. But as of right now, yeah, there's not really any plans to um, tour, um, you know, at this point in time. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, uh, where does the name AD twenty twenty? Where does that come from? Yeah, so you know, part of the Part of the process of this whole thing was, you know, we were looking at it um, from the standpoint of there were a lot of people, you know, especially a lot of friends of mine that are musicians were home, you know, be, through the pandemic. And, and a lot of them, I was just like, you know, I was really thinking about them a lot. And I'm like, wow, these guys are home, you know, and, and, and just like, you know, how, how does that work? Like one day, you know, you're working and the next day you just don't have income anymore. And how does that work for a musician? And how do you square that? And, and so that was kind of the impetus of, you know, with, with some of the thought process that I had running that I want to do an album and I want to work with the best people we possibly can work with. But at the same time, this might be a good thing too, that, you know, it's small, but we can help give back something to somebody somewhere, you know, and um, that's kind of, you know, what was in my mind. So the title or the name of the project, you know, we, we had talked about it in the beginning um, about, you know, we're not really, we don't even want to tempt fate and say this is a super group or anything like that. More so it was, it was a, project at this point in time and, and it reflects where we're at at this point in time and that was the year 2020 so it was just a fitting title you know it was just a fitting name for the project yeah and it looks cool in the logo you know it, it actually looks cool in the logo it looks great on the album so that's where where that all came from yeah it's i kind of kind of thought that that's uh what what it may be from but i i just had to ask so it's an unforgettable yeah. year, you know. Yeah. I mean, oh, it's, 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 you always know. You always remember twenty twenty. Uh, you know, we we stand. We we jumped on it. You know, and yeah. um, you'll never remember. You know, like right now, we're trending really well on YouTube, and um, so if you type in eighty twenty twenty at all, we're at the top of the searches. And you know, there's people out that have song titles eighty twenty twenty. There's just a lot of commentary about the year. 
right now we're kind of trending high, and so we're we're at the high of those high, you know, part of those lists, those searches and stuff. So it's kind of cool. So that's that, that's all. It was just uh, you know, it was it was just the name that we felt you know was very fitting for uh, the year, what we were all going through. I mean, uh, it's the beginning of a new decade, and. You got COVID-19. For for me, it was interesting because I found out I had a sister that I never knew existed, you know. So, you know, so, yeah, it's for for me, it's going to be kind of special in that perspective. But, uh, God, overall, it just seems like it was a shit year, too, with with everything that had happened. (laughs) But at least, you know, there's positive things that can be taken out of. Yeah, and that was the thing. I mean, you know, early on, you know, um, different people talked to me and they came to me and said, you know, what are your thoughts on this? And I said, man, I said, I don't know. I said, you know, this is something I've never experienced. I, I really don't know. You know, what I own, a, I own a, a business as well. So, you know, it was one of those things where, you know, people were asking me, you know, what, what do you think is going to happen here? I said, I don't know. I said, you know, this has never happened. Uh, I mean, we could be delivering pizzas by the end of the year. You know, if businesses go out of go out business one at a time, and it creates a domino effect. It'll just you know, it'll hit all of us, and you know, who knows? And uh, so, you know, we we talked about that a little bit, but then I kind of changed my whole mindset on the whole thing, and I said, you know, we're given this opportunity. Let's try and find a silver lining to it if we could, and and that was. I was determined to come out of the pandemic better than I was going into it. And I went into it with a hernia. I came out of it with the hernia fix. <laughs> I came out of it with a, with a new album and a new music project. Um, I gained 15 pounds in the uh, pandemic, which I have since lost. But you know, I tried to turn everything positive where I could. And, and that was kind of, you know, the whole thing behind the album and, and the philosophy about it too was we were just trying to present music that could be seen in a positive light and um, you know bring uh, uplifting music to people when they really needed it. Absolutely, absolutely. Of course, yeah. Dur- it was uh, just a little over a year ago that uh, here in my area they actually got a music fest uh, to to happen after everything else cool. was getting canceled, but it was. Uh, for the promoter, it was really, really tough for him to get together. But I, I remember what he said was, uh, "It's time to start living and not just existing anymore." Mm-hmm. No, that's great, great. And and where are you located, Billy? I'm in Idaho. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, of course. I'm a bit familiar with your neck of the woods too, having lived in. Reading at one point in time in my life. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. yeah, no, I'm I'm uh, half an hour. I'm half an hour south of Reading. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so cool. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I I do have to ask uh, from uh, your your perspective now. Um, when I first started this show, of course, I was living in uh, Northeast Ohio, and uh, whereas I do not miss the weather out there, uh, some of the the meanest winners that I've I've ever seen, but uh, the local music scene was was very very rich out there, um, and that that whole Midwest scene is like uh, that the the local music is just fantastic. And then I also remember while living in Reading, um, 
there was, I think there was a battle of a band somewhere. Uh, I can't remember if it was uh, in, in Pottstown or somewhere in within that area. And uh, one of the bands had a very, very interesting name. Uh, they were called I Want to Kill You. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, that that was one of them. But, uh, you know, look, it seemed to me like uh, even out there in uh, PA, they had a pretty good local music scene. But in your opinion, uh, how would you, how would you uh, best rate the local music scene? Yeah, so it's interesting. I mean, um, boy, you know, the music scene here is, is not what it used to be. We used to have... Um, sounds that just really you know and again but the music scene i can't judge the music scene today like i could you know when it was back in the 80s and, and, and that sort of thing i mean it, the, the music scene has totally changed for a lot of different reasons so um you know towns that had multiple rock clubs back in the day uh you know they're down to before the pandemic they're down to like one <laughs> one for you know for uh region and um that's kind of what it, it came down to and so you know we were playing all the local rock clubs and, and casinos and things like that uh philadelphia um you know again has uh, a, a really good scene as well um right now there's just a you know i'd love to see more i'd love to see more original music you know obviously i'm in i'm in an original music project um Right now, I think we're kind of in this very stale um, environment where, you know, there's just not enough emphasis placed on original music. And um, without original music, you don't have, you don't, you don't get to get to the point of playing new covers. So, you know, I can't watch another, you know, tribute band. I, I you know, there's just, I, I'm, I'm kind of beyond that. And I have lots of friends that play in tribute bands and do that sort of thing. But for me, it's kind of like, you know, eh, you know, I've seen it. I've, I've seen the original artists. I've seen it, you know, wow me, bring me something I don't, that I can't expect when I come to see a show, you know? So yeah, it, it's interesting. I mean, a lot of the clubs uh, are just starting to open. There was, there was a few of them in our area that, you know, I was wondering, are they going to actually reopen, you know, because, um, it took them quite a while after the pandemic to, to reopen the door. So it's starting to look better. Um, I think we could do a whole lot better though, you know, than, than where we're at. So I think a lot of that has to, it has to, you know, uh, begin in the schools, music education and stuff. We don't put enough emphasis on that anymore. Oh, so. you're definitely right about that. I mean, and it's, I mean, seen like in movies and whatnot, we're going to have to cut, this program because uh, we got to balance the budget a little bit, you know, so they make sure that they have all the athletics they want, but it's, it's like the music <laughs> programs get to get cut, you know, and, and they don't realize what they're doing when they do something like that. Yeah, I mean, I remember, I remember being in school and I'm a product of the, you know, the public school systems. I remember, you know, rock bands coming into my school to play. They came and played during assemblies. They came and did concerts and raised money for the schools and, and things like that. And, you know, those are things that just opened my eyes to it and just, you know, I, I wanted to do it. I mean, I was around it. And so, yeah, it's an interesting thing, you know, I mean, it, it's a real interest, you know, it's a real interesting time. Um, putting this album together was, was really, uh, you know, an eye opener in a sense because a lot of, a lot of very, you know, popular music today, a lot of them don't even have drums on it. You know, it, it's, uh, it's, 
you know, some sort of synthesizer or something. Uh, they're beats, you know, and there, there's not even a live drum track on the, on the album, you know, or on the song. So, yeah, it, it's an interesting time, that's for sure. But, you know, the, the album that we put together, it, you know, it's a rock album and uh, it grooves. It's got a lot of, you know, I'd like to think there's, there's a lot of thought that went into the lyric writing and uh, the arrangements and, and just a lot of surprises. Yes, yes, I agree. I kind of get the, I kind of get a, a bit of a 70s feel a little bit, a bit of an 80s feel a little bit, and also uh, that's a good cover, too, of uh, War that you got on there as well. <laughs> cool. You like that? Yeah, we, um, that was one of the songs early on that we discussed. I, never, I remember early on having a, a phone conversation with, with um, Ron uh, Bumblefoot, Fall uh, about it, and... Um, you know, again, in his uh, fashion, he had his guitar with him. He always has his guitar. And I think like 30 seconds after I mentioned the song, he was playing it and singing it back. And um, I said, wouldn't it be cool? I said, what if we did something like, you know, we got everybody on the project to take a lead vocal line? Because there's seven verses and there's six of us. So that's what we ended up doing. Uh, we ended up giving Mark, uh, the lead singer, the first verse and the very last one. And then the rest of us each took a crack at one of the verses. So we have six lead vocals on that song. Um, we also have two bass players on that song, kind of a spinal tap, uh, thing going on, but, uh, no, but seriously, we have, um, a really cool thing going on. Greg played the, uh, the electric bass part and, um, played, you know, brilliantly on that. And then Melvin, I asked him about playing upright bass. I said, is there any way we can get you to play upright bass? And he came back to me with something that was so cool. And so he's actually playing a, you know, an upright bass and playing it with a bow. He also played all the harmonica on that and uh, helped with a lot of the suggestions of the arrangement on it, how to, how to make, bring some lift to the song and stuff. So, yeah, it's a cool version. I can't wait for people to hear it. Yes, yes, indeed. And, I got to tell you, though, what, what comes to mind when I hear that song every time now is uh, one of my favorite movies, uh, Dazed and Confused, watching those uh, kids get their high school hazings and they play that song. That's what... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... Classic. Yeah. That's, that's one of those movies I don't think I can watch enough of, to be honest with you. Right. I mean, uh, just because, uh, I don't know, it... It kind of relates to my high school days where, uh, of course, uh, me and my buddies were smoking joints and <laughs> dra drag racing uh, elsewhere, so, <laughs> dr drinking beer uh, late at night. Yeah, yeah, those were the days. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So uh, as, as far as uh, plans for the future of uh, AD 2020, now you got uh, – we got – we got this EP out. Um, are you working on any more projects as we speak? Yeah. So, I mean, schedule wise, we're going to, um, we have a video that's going to drop on August 1st, uh, for why can't we be friends? Um, the only video that we did that is going to actually have us playing in it. So yeah, that look for that. That's coming out August 1st. The album is going to drop on the uh, 10th and then we're going to, con we're considering doing one more single. Um, and then that's probably it for 80, 2020 for this year. Um, we have to look and just see what's going to go on. I've been working, um, 
pretty much round the clock and around the calendar for the past two years. So I'm ready for some time off. And so after the album drops and, and I kind of get through that cycle, I'm going to go on vacation and I'm coming back um, in the fall and we'll start to put together what we're going to do next year, whatever that's going to be. And uh, Mark and I are actually having breakfast tomorrow. We're going to talk some things over and whatever, but yeah, we'll, we'll start to get back playing live next year in some capacity. Um, we, we've talked, you know, uh, not seriously yet. We, we've had some very casual white conversations about doing a, a follow-up album. And, um, you know, this, this whole thing for me has been like a year of advanced music school. And um, my professors have been Bumblefoot and Reed and Smith and Brannon and Sherinian and McNally and, you know, just everybody. And, and we've all been, uh, you know, so for me, it's been like going back to music school. Um, and so we've had some conversations um, about doing a second album. And, you know, I remember having a conversation with Bumblefoot and he said, yeah, he said, you know, you do the first one and people look at it like it's a project. Okay. And some people take notice and some don't. And he said, and then you do the second one. And he said, then they kind of sit up and look around a little bit more like, oh, well, maybe there is something here. And he said, and by the third album, you know, they really started to take root. So, you know, we have that in mind. That's, that's sort of the plan. We, we got to get the first one out in, in the public's hands and uh, get feedback from that and see, you know, see how things go. Um, if the second album is meant to be, it'll happen, you know, and, and like, like this, you know, same thing with the third, you know, if it's, if it's meant to be, we'll make it happen. So yes. part of the, um, part of the process of, you know, going through all this has been, you know, um, I had to set up a record label and distribution and just everything. So we have all those mechanisms in place and, and I, you know, we'll be able to do that a little easier in the, in the future. And we'll also be able to help other artists or maybe people that, you know, um, will, will help, you know, get their product to market as well. So Abs kind of the plan. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I have one final question here. Let's say, sure. uh, Say a group of kids ages 15 to early 20s uh, approach you and tell you that they want to start a band and break into the music business. What advice do you think you give them? Yeah, um, to break into the music business. You know, it's one of those things. I mean, if you're fortunate enough to be able to, to, to generate, you know, income and, and um, make it your your, your job or your vocation, you know, it, it, it never feels like work. I mean, there's a lot of places, a lot of ways you can generate income and have a career in music and, and it doesn't involve being on a stage, you know? So that's the thing. I mean, um, just be happy doing whatever it is you do, you know, and that, that's the main thing. I mean, find what it is that makes you happy. If you're, if you like teaching people, teach guitar, teach bass, drums, whatever it is. Um, if you, you like playing, you know, as a studio musician, you can, you can work that out, you know, do it. Um, but, um, you know, the old adage, you know, practice, um, try and find mentors, you know, that, you know, and I'm fortunate enough with this project, you know, I, I feel as though I have a lot of colleagues and mentors in this project, even, you know, and you're never too old to, um, have somebody mentor you or, or be a colleague or a mentor to someone else. So 
that's the thing. Just align yourself with the best possible people you can and, you know, listen, you know. Absolutely. Well, that's all the questions I have for you. I want to thank you very much uh, for your time here. And uh, we're going to go to a music set, and I'm going to play three more of your songs that's going to be expected on the uh, upcoming album here. But uh, before I get to that, uh, why don't uh, you go ahead and uh, give a plug where can uh, the listeners find AD2020? you got a website, social media, um, Reverb Nation, iTunes, Spotify, all that good stuff. Sure. So our, our main website is um, www.ad2020music.com. And that ad2020music, that's also the same for all of our social media links. We're on Facebook and uh, Instagram and uh, Twitter and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. And uh, all those links are also on our main uh, website as well. So, All right. Well, Todd, once again, thank you so much for your time here. I um, want to wish you the best of luck in your future endeavors, and when uh, more stuff comes out, I look forward to hearing it. All right, Billy. Thank you so much for the opportunity. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. You take care. All right, you too. Take care. Bye-bye. And ladies and gentlemen, there you have the interview with Todd Townhauser of AD2020. Time to hit the music set. Got three more songs by AD2020. Plus, I have Jade Marie Patek and Bionic Jive in the mix. Be right back after this. This is the kind of thing that just tickles my balls. You're listening to Outlaw Radio. And if you don't agree with our opinions, then fuck your mother. Hey, do you kiss your girlfriend with that mouth?
Raising a child is not difficult. They try to make it into this mysterious, difficult test. Nothing to it. Easiest thing in the world to raise a kid if you follow the steps. First step, you take the kid and you put him out on the street corner. And you leave him there. You come back a week later. If the kid is still there, you got yourself a stupid fucking kid. Then you just proceed from that point. It's all bullshit, folks. It's all bullshit, and it's bad for you. Clock says 4.57. My mind's on scotch and gin. Leaving this place, I step and got my whole paycheck to spend. The cycle's just as vicious, I'm lost in lies I tell. I ain't superstitious, but I pray to God himself. Liquor's got me lost inside his spell. Can't keep dancing with the devil and wonder why I'm still in hell. Dancing with the devil and wonder why you're still in hell.
cats with blood hounds. Nightmares murdered in the cold and damn box Nineteen sixty-nine in Vietnam, never seen a dead calm type mode. From sundown to crack of dawn, dancing in the napalm. I was first born, trained to kill the calm. Reinforced each on, penetrate the stronghold. With my ensemble, my platoon, purple horn, trigger spawn, laying down on my last round at the birth of sundown. Forgive me for taking a life I'm only 19, becoming a man overseas I wrote you this letter Under fire, can you please talk to God? I think he's mad at me I sleep in the rice fields for days at a time Unable to move, limited food, I'm so cold And all I have is dreams of holding my son And witnessing a smile from you I love you Please excuse the blood I just lost another friend as a mind to you Miss you Another one gone And I'm ashamed cause these are days that I'm used to
walking down in Chinatown. I called you, but you did not look around. There is no other feeling than strapping up or grabbing those kettlebells, grappling on the mat, or doing some shadow boxing, getting knocked down, getting back up, throwing strikes, and then doing it all over again. So when you hear someone scream, gear up, you better get ready, because it's just you, your hunter athletic gear, and the voice telling you to train harder. No matter how much experience you have, hunter athletic gear stands with you all the way. Their products are engineered for utmost comfort, protect and speed battle after battle hunter athletic gear is the brand celebrating your victory hunter athletic gear has a range of great training and fight gear for men and ladies including compression pants fight shorts hoodies vests caps and bikinis they can create custom branded ranges for your gym or business visit their website at huntermma.co.za gear up and let's train What news and information are your media dollars buying when the narrative is prescribed by the advertisers? Scripted lies, media brainwashing, and thought control. 
take back your voice, take back our media, but most of all, take back our First Amendment. Subscribe to Caravan to Midnight today for hard-hitting commentary free from political correctness and media bias as I and some of the most intelligent and interesting people on Earth delve deep into what really lies beyond the headlines. Three to four hour uninterrupted and uncensored information. Join our CTM family today. Join the movement. Join the fight for freedom and independence. Caravan to Midnight is media for the people, by the people, independent of commercial obligations or influence. For less than a cup of coffee per month, you can make a difference. Let the people fund the next news network. Help us grow. Help us create a platform where we place freedom of speech and thought first. Join the family at caravantomidnight.com. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. This is the Second Amendment of the United States of America's Constitution. This Second Amendment, the right of law-abiding Americans to privately own and possess firearms, is under attack like no other time in America's history. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have pledged to take away your Second Amendment rights through gun bans, gun confiscations, and government regulations. Even a gun tax. Do not take this lying down. The time to take action and fight to protect your Second Amendment rights is now. Join the Second Amendment Foundation, the oldest and largest nonprofit foundation focused on protecting your Second Amendment rights. For more information, to join or to donate, visit saf.org. And now a message for the men. Listen up, guys. Fact. As we men age, our IGF-1 growth factor levels decrease, which can lead to gradual deterioration of energy, muscle growth, and immune function. From Neutronics Labs comes a line of health supplements that make men men again. Deer Antler Velvet. Listen. IGF-1 Plus Deer Antler Velvet contains the most concentrated source of widely diversified nutrition found in the plant or animal kingdom. Choose from Neutronics Labs liposome spray products. From the Ultra 10,000 Nanograms Package to the Platinum 300,000 Nanograms Package. They're also specially formulated supplements for joint pain relief, more energy, better stamina, better natural sleep, stress relief, and weight loss. For more information about these amazing products, visit keys2life.shop. That's K-E-Y-S, the number two, life.shop. IGF-1 Plus Deer Antler Velvet Supplements from Neutronics Labs. Making men, men again. Yo, baby, you've had your asshole licked by a fat man in an overcoat? Fuck the shit, fuck the fucking shit, fuck shit. You're listening to Outlaw Radio. Now buy a sewing machine, take it home, and cram it up your ass. Fuck the shit, the shit, fuck shit. Shit, fuck. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Outlaw Radio, brought to you by Cold Cock Whiskey. Raise your glass, take your shot. You must be 21 years of age or older to drink. Hunter Athletic, Gear Up, Let's Train, USAC, the United South Africa Coalition, and Neutronics, IGF-1, Making Men, Men Again. Songs you just heard, you just heard, Why Can't We Be Friends, cover of Wars Classic by AD2020. Before that, Bionic Jive with Ricochet. Before that, AD2020 with Ricochet. Yes, two songs of the same title, two different songs of the same title. Before that, Jade Marie Patek with Dancing with the Devil. 
And starting off the whole set, AD2020 with hard drive. All right, in just a little bit, you're going to hear the conversation I had with Chris Wyatt, a retired Army colonel. Before I get to that, it is time to reveal... The Outlaw Radio, Idiot of the Week. And ladies and gentlemen, the Outlaw Radio Idiot of the Week this week is popular YouTuber out of Minneapolis, Minnesota, Anthony Michael Wickless. Arrested for assaulting a woman. Wow, you must be a big man laying your hands on a woman. <laughs> Gee, I mean, look at this, uh, this four-eyed geek here. <laughs> You'll see his mugshot. Yes, uh, just go to... Uh, uh, the Facebook page, um, ABS Outlaw Radio on Facebook, yes, and uh, you will see the picture, plus a link to the um, a, a link to the story there. Anyway, without any further ado, it is time for Outlaw Radio Conservative Talk with retired Army Colonel Chris Wyatt. Outlaw Radio, conservative talk. I just want to tell you that America is the greatest place on earth. We will make America great again. We the people tell the government what to do. It doesn't tell us. We the people are the driver. The government is the car. And we decide where it should go and by what route and how fast. Outlaw Radio, conservative talk starts now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this edition of Outlaw Radio Conservative Talk going to be uh, continuing uh, to talk more about the situation in South Africa and why we need to be uh, so vigilant as to, as we know uh, what's happening in South Africa is on its way here if we're not very careful. And for this edition, I'd like to welcome retired Colonel Chris Wyatt to the show. Chris, how you doing? Well, thanks. I'm doing quite well. It's a pleasure to join you this evening. I hope that uh, we have an interesting conversation. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining me. So, um, Colonel, I'd like to ask you first and foremost, you've been covering the uh, situations of what's going on in South Africa for some time. Um, but uh, what, what, kind of, what kind of led you to that point? Uh, from what I understand, you spent some time over there? Or? Oh, Absolutely. So I was uh, in the Army for 36 and a half years, retired in October 2019 after reaching the maximum time I could spend in as a full colonel. And then uh, I had been an intelligence officer and served at all the major intelligence uh, agencies, most of them in the uh, defense establishment, and served the tactical, the operational strategic level, wrote for the President of the United States, presidential daily briefs. Um, and I uh, was also a foreign area officer, a regional specialist for Africa. And my interest in that grew back in the 70s when I was a kid and uh, graduated high school in the early 1980s and went to university and then got, stayed interested in Africa. While I was in the Army, I was at the Education Center and I uh, saw this little pamphlet back in the mid-80s and it said the Army Foreign Area Officer Program. I looked at it and I said, that's what I want to do when I grow up. <laughs> so I made it a goal to become a Foreign Area Officer. It's not something you do when you first come back in as an officer. You have to be a senior captain or a major before you get into that field. But I plan my career around becoming one for Africa, and that's what I did. I've served tours of duty in Tunisia, Liberia, Botswana, Malawi, Niger, Mauritania, Uganda, 
and Ethiopia at the U.S. mission to the African Union. Peacekeeping, built schools and clinics, wells, roads, um, fought terrorists, trained militaries to obey civilian rule. Uh, pretty interesting stuff. I speak three African languages, and um, I'm a, a published author in academic circles on Africa. And I've taught undergraduate, and I taught graduate. Uh, I was director of African studies at the Army War College. And I worked at the Defense Intelligence Agency on Africa, the National Security Agency, the U.S. Africa Command, the Pentagon, and all those tours in Africa. So, yeah, I've been there a bit. Um, never lived in South Africa, but I've been there several hundred times. Uh, lived next door in Botswana and would travel there frequently and also been there many times on business. So I've been uh, following South Africa since about 1979, 1980. Well, I envy you that because uh, my time in South Africa was very, very short. Uh, I was... I was uh, living in Las Vegas at the time, and I was working a job that didn't get paid time off, so I had to go there for uh, the event that uh, I was there for, and I had to turn right around and leave, so I, I was there probably for a total of about uh, 48 hours, and only got only got to see Johannesburg, which was, to me, that was nothing special, um, it was just another big. It was just another big city. You go to one big city, you've been to it. You've been to them all. It seems like you know the only difference was that the the roads seemed to be a lot more narrow, and people people were driving on the opposite side of the car and the opposite side of the street. That was the only difference. <laughs> yeah, they do. I always have this argument. South Africans, I tell them that we drive on the right side of the road, as in the correct. <laughs> yes. And and not only that, too, but uh, given the fact that I just said I was living in uh, Las Vegas at the time, I went to a place called Carnival City, if you've heard of that. Uh, I'm not familiar with that. Oh, it's it's another casino. It's a, it, oh, I'm, I'm familiar with the casino at Gold Reef City, but uh, <laughs> that one I'm not familiar with. I mean, so... I mean, I, I didn't get an African experience at all for the short time I was there, and I go to another casino when I already live in Las Vegas, so go figure. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is a strange one when you Vegas and you want to go to a casino when you go elsewhere, but, but you didn't have a lot of time, so it's understandable. Yes, yes. Now, you said you speak uh, three languages. Uh, what, what are they? No, I speak six languages, but I speak three African languages. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so that would be Swahili, which I was once fluent in, but I'm no longer fluent. But it's an easy language. I was in Tanzania a few years ago, and I was not even, I didn't even intend to speak in it. I just picked it up hearing people say it, and I, I got asked a question. I started answering in Swahili without even thinking about it. So, so Swahili, um, I understand and can read uh, Afrikaans, but I don't speak it very well. It's uh, tough to pronounce. And then uh, Setswana. I have uh, some proficiency in Setswana, which is uh, spoken in South Africa and in Botswana. Yes, yes. I mean, I've I've done my uh, studies into Dutch uh, pretty well, and I I can listen to a conversation in uh, Afrikaans and I can pick it up. However, reading it is a is another story for me. Well, I don't have any real challenges reading. That's the problem for me is, is speaking. I can understand most of what I hear. I listen to Afrikaans music. Uh, I've watched Afrikaans programming. But um, speaking, it's a challenge, and that's because you got to spend time with people to get it right. I mean, the way they pronounce Jesus is, is just brutal. It's tough. Oh. Um, but if you speak if you speak German and you speak English, or if you speak Dutch and English, um, you can pick up Afrikaans. Mm. It's uh, it's not a hard yeah. hard path to follow. Well, get, getting the G pronunciation it isn't that hard for me. You just got to clear your throat. 
but uh, I don't know. <laughs> how, I don't know how many different languages roll there are from uh, you know Spanish, Italian, Greek, even Afrikaans, and I I never have been able to do that. Yeah, no, I can see that. It's uh, it's uh, it can be a bit of a challenge, but uh, it is an interesting language. It's the uh, newest language in the world, uh, and it's also the only language in the world that has a monument to the language in the city or the town of Parle in the Western Cape. There is an Afrikaans monument there. It's pretty impressive. Um, it shows the seven origins and contributing uh, parts that made up the language, the modern language. It's a pretty interesting place to visit. Yes, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, uh, I when I was living in Ohio, I actually uh, had a few words with somebody um, and they, they said something about uh, the Afrikaans language and being tied with apartheid and that it's racist and all that. And I said, I looked him in the eye and I said, wow. So you mean to tell me that uh, you can look, you can hear somebody speaking German and they're automatically a Nazi. Uh, why don't you uh, try that with the local Amish people who live in this area who speak German? <laughs> and are they Nazis because they speak that language? Now, yeah. that's just bigotry from uninformed or intentionally ignorant people. Yeah. Uh, for instance, uh, when I started learning, uh, I started learning about uh, Afrikaans teaching myself in the mid-1980s. Uh, one of the first questions I got, of course, that was the height of the tension focused on apartheid. Uh, what are you, a racist? I'm like, what do you mean? Well, you're learning the language of oppression. I'm like, what do you mean language oppression? No, oh, that's the, the white racist. That's their language. Actually, no. Um, white South Africans who speak as the first language are a minority, the largest group of people who speak Afrikaans as the first language are the so-called colors of South Africa, which is about seven to nine million people of mixed race origin, but very specific, not just, you know, a black guy and a white girl meeting up or a, a white uh, a guy and a black girl meeting up. It's not as simple as that. This is a group that, that dates from the 17th century uh, when people in the Western Cape, the, the Dutch and the Huguenots first arrived and they mixed with Khoi uh, local groups there and they are the descendants of that, those early couplings. And so uh, for people to say that, it just shows their ignorance and their stupidity or just the political agenda to call people those things. It's just, it really is, the world is full of a lot of really stupid people today, and it's very frustrating because their bigotry is often on display. Yes, yes. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, because I was talking with uh, Sipo Imnisi uh, last week, and um, you know him being a black South African and having and having a level head on his shoulders and not agreeing with the narrative of the ANC makes makes him a target for necklacing and I do worry for his safety. In fact, I I wasn't sure if I should have him on the show, but he he felt safe enough to do so. But uh, it's like you you have to agree with this narrative or f suffer the consequences. Well, it's not very different than these shores these days. <laughs> if you if you don't parrot the orthodoxy of the confused left, then you become a target for cancel culture or attacks or harassment uh, or deplatforming. It seems to be the norm now. Well, they've already expressed, especially um, those on this on this radical left, that freedom of speech is a one way street. Meaning, you must agree with their narrative, or else, you know, you're you're you you're, you're uh, gonna have life is gonna be tough for you. You're gonna have trouble going to the store and getting groceries because if you try if you try to leave your house, they're going to harass you. 
or they're going they're going to try to get you fired from your job they're going to they're going to try to ruin your life as much as humanly possible and there's no limits to what they're going to do not at all i mean it's the, the entire system is captured now it's ironic that people whine about the uh, McCarthyism back in those days. Hollywood was very conservative, and so we still hear the endless lies because many of those people actually were communist. But uh, but the point about people being blackballed during the cons- when conservatives ran Hollywood, but Hollywood has long since stopped being a conservative bastion. In fact, conservatives harassed out there. But Hollywood is gone. Public schools are gone. Universities are gone. The media is gone. Social media is gone. Cable news is long gone. The last of the ones who claim to be um, objective Fox News is clearly in the tank. Uh, everything is everything is skewed against people who think rationally, cogently, and objectively. And you must spew the orthodoxy, or or you just you're done for. I mean, we, we see last year when Trump was behind, and this is not endorsement for or an attack on Trump, just a statement of fact. But when Trump was pushing Operation Warp Speed to get a vaccine in record time which has a lot of risk with it. But when that was happening, all these leftists, including um, Harris and Biden and Cher, and the list goes on and on of pundits and politicians and, and commentators from Hollywood and television, all attacked it and said, this is dangerous. I, you can never take a vaccine because he's behind it. He's getting all kinds of money and secret deals and everything. And, and it's amazing how we jump forward from this time last year until November, and then the vaccines come out in December, and now, if you do what the people on the left did last year and you raise a question about the efficacy of vaccines or the, the, the importance of taking or not taking or, or any question, you're a heretic and, and you deserve to be attacked and, and pillared and, and canceled and you know locked away in a leper colony when these same clowns were doing this a year ago and no one calls them to account. I did a video recently on one of my platforms, not safe for YouTube, but a different one, in which I just put up screen captures of what all these clowns said just last year. And they're all quiet now, and they're attacking people who asked the very same questions that they did. So if you spew the narrative, it's okay. But if you are like an actual scientist and, and question results and have a hypothesis, well, that's just not acceptable. <laughs> yeah. But, of course, um, if if it's approved by a by an old pedophile with dementia who likes to sniff these young girls, then it, it must be okay. <laughs> so it's, it's even more complicated than that, but I get where you're going with that. But no, it's just, it's really frightening. Um, I spent 36 and a half years supporting defending the Constitution. I didn't do it for white people. I didn't do it for black people. I didn't do it for brown people. I didn't do it for Asians. I didn't do it for Hispanics. I did it for Americans. Americans are all those things, and Native Americans too, and others. Um, that's a very unique thing about being American. Being German is not holding a German passport. Being English is not holding a British passport. You can be British uh, and hold a British passport, but not be of Scots, Welsh, Cornish, or English descent. Um, But you can't be a German. You can be a German national. But being an American is being an American. That's not based on ethnicity. It's not based on origin. It's based on an idea. It's based on a concept. And it also requires certain adherence to the norms in this country. So it's it's a very different sort of situation, and this 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 whole thing is very disturbing. What's been happening in this country, well, for the better part of three decades now, but this has been over the top for ten years now. The constant lies that go on. Uh, but I don't want to take you too far down a rabbit hole. We talk about the U.S. forever. I think you want to talk about mm-hmm. South Africa. Well, well, we're mixing it up, but uh, 
There's one thing I wanted to ask you, and I may be uh, throwing a bit of a curveball at you here, but uh, I think uh, I think that the Chinese Communist Party just has this uh, horrible lust for power, worse than uh, than any of us can possibly imagine, and and many people are so ignorant to how big a threat this is. So I mean. I asked SIPO last week, and I'd like to get your take on it as well, but this racial division, do you think, uh, because we know South Africa is, is uh, pretty deep, deep, deep in debt with, with China, and, uh, we, and so are we. So do you think maybe this, all this racial tension and all that could be possibly a... Uh, setting the stage for the Chinese Communist Party takeover? Well, the thing is, first off, I'd say this. China is a sovereign state in the Westphalian system of states, a system we've had since the Peace of Westphalia in 1648. Mm -hmm. It's informal, but it's, it's a recognized system. So states act in their own interest, and China is perfectly welcome to act in its own interest, provided those interests aren't harmful to others. Um, the problem is that their interests are harmful because of their underhanded methods of doing things. So if China is focused on protecting national sovereignty, that's fine. But if China wants to participate in the World Trade Organization and trade with other nations and then puts up formal and informal barriers which violate World Trade Organization rules, that's not acceptable. And that's what China's been doing, and that's just one example. And it, it carries out whether it's the South China Seas, whether it's investment in Africa. But as far as taking over, no, I don't think the Chinese have much of an interest in taking over Africa, but they are unintentionally colonizing Africa. That's definitely happening. Uh, there are untold Chinese numbers of, of their citizens living in Africa now, probably at least two million. No one has accurate figures uh, because of the way information is disclosed. But the, the senior leadership in the African National Congress is beholden to the Chinese, and it dates back to the days of the Cold War when the only place that these liberation movements could get support was from the East Bloc. And so they went to the German Democratic Republic, uh, they went to the Soviets, they went to the Cubans, and they went to the Chinese. I mean, if you look at what's happening, uh, just get away from China for a second, but this, this, this unbelievable fealty to a failed state of Cuba, this love affair with everything that's Cuban by the African National Congress beggars imagination. At the outset of this pandemic, they paid 500 million rand to bring Cuban doctors to South Africa. Well, that's an insult to South African doctors. They have South African doctors. They didn't need Cuban doctors. Uh, it's utterly ridiculous. They didn't do anything. They sat in hotels and it was paid for by the South African taxpayer and they contributed nothing. But this love affair, um, just recently they were praising uh, Cuba just before this nonsense started. And the president spoke out and he's praising Cuba. It's just, it's off the charts. And it's the same with China. What is disturbing when it comes to South Africa and China is the deference and, uh, which the African National Congress gives to the Chinese Communist Party and also the fact that the South Africans don't give a flying flip about what damage is done to their economy. Now, this isn't something followed very deeply, but there was something called the multi-fiber agreement, which was something that allowed countries, developing countries, to have textile manufacturing plants. And as long as the textile material like the cotton or wool came from elsewhere and it got assembled there and it was shipped to a third party, it was a way for countries to get around the quotas because there were quotas in the, in the trade system back then. So like the Chinese, because they weren't part of the World Trade Organization at that point, could only send so many shirts and so many tons of stuff to the U.S. or to parts of Europe. Well, if you had a factory in South Africa or Lesotho or Swaziland, 
you could manufacture clothing there, and it was given an artificial advantage. It avoided the quotas because those countries could ship to those uh, to the Western countries, and they were also given a, a, a cut rate on, on the um, duties coming in. So it was actually cheaper to manufacture clothing, even though the, the um, productivity rates are very low in Africa, and they're also not on the main routes or markets. It was cheaper to ship clothing from there. But the moment the multi-fiber agreement expired, I think it was in 2005, there were something like 175 or 200,000 textile jobs that disappeared almost overnight from Southern Africa. If you go back to the turn of the century, 90% of the textiles in South Africa that were sold were manufactured in South Africa. Today, it's closer to 30%. And the rest comes from China or Pakistan, but mostly from China. Uh, same with shoes. Almost all the shoes in South Africa, about 80% were manufactured in South Africa. Now they make barely 10% of the shoes that are sold in South Africa. All those jobs, all that investment has gone to China primarily, and the ANC doesn't care. They're not even interested. They can't be bothered. All the jobs are lost. And that's more concerning to me than, than any effort by China to take over Africa. That's, I don't really think that's in their game plan. It's, it's, it's not what they need to achieve. They're achieving what they need now by breaking World Trade Organization rules and by industrial espionage by spying and by undermining and attacking people's networks and their banking systems. All that's working in their favor. They're not, they're not a good actor. No, no, they're, they're most definitely not. Um, the, uh, you know, I, I'm just, I'm just noticing though that they want to become such a big superpower. It's, uh, the, or at least this is my speculation, Colonel. Is that they wa- they want to be uh, such a big superpower, and it, it seems to me that they will they will uh, run in, any goal or um, pretty much any dir- any dirty method they can to to achieve that goal, basically. Well, yeah, I, I suppose you're, that's you're probably not far off the mark. You might right be on it there, be right on it, but uh, they, um, yeah, they'll. They'll do pretty much anything they need to, whether it's steal your secrets, it's spy on people, it's uh, it's it's really um, abysmal and and frightening what goes on. And, and people people act like this is good. I remember being in Africa and listening to African, you know, the China model for development. What China model for development? Break the rules, steal, cheat, um, pay people slave labor wages. You know, come on, is that is that is that the model? That's their business model. Well, it's better than capitalism. No, it's not because you don't know what capitalism is. Almost nobody on this planet has actually ever seen capitalism. There's crony capitalism. There's state capitalism. There's our fake version of capitalism here in America. I mean, yes, capitalism doesn't allow for governments to sponsor or endorse or own business or control prices. That's not free market. Uh, True capitalism is a rare thing. Um, and market capitalism is denigrated by people who don't understand, especially leftists. But the Chinese, what they're doing is, 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 is quite frightening. And look, I, I don't hate China. I, I'm against China. Like I said, they're a sovereign state. But I do have issues with people that cheat and break the rules. Um, the rules exist for a reason, so that everybody has a fair opportunity. And when people get an unfair advantage because they've cheated, I, I just don't cotton that. That's not acceptable. And that's, that's what China does on a daily basis. Well, it's just like I've said many a times before. Um, I don't have I don't have a problem with the Chinese people. I have a problem with the Chinese Communist Party. Just like uh, I you know I put it on Twitter before I was uh, recently uh, banned permanently from Twitter. I put out a tweet to the Boise chapter of Black Lives Matter, and I told them to get out of Idaho. All of a sudden, that's perceived as I'm telling black people to get out of Idaho. I said black people are welcome. Uh, Black Lives Matter is not. 
Well, yeah. I, I, are we in a safe space to talk about what Black Lives Matter actually is? You know, or not? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, listen, um, it's, it's a Marxist organization full of grifters who yeah. are yeah. not in it because they care about black lives. If they cared about black lives, then they would be uh, gobsmacked and tear-driven by the 300,000-plus black children aborted in this country every year. And it's quite frightening. If it weren't for mixed-race marriages and immigration of people from Africa, the black population in this country would actually be declining. The natural birth rate is not high enough to overcome those abortions every year. And so they start this false narrative about police are hunting black men. Well, let's put this in perspective of the couple hundred million interactions between law enforcement every year and American citizens uh, in 2019, because 2020 figures are not not, uh, particularly helpful. But in 2019, I think the number was 308 black Americans were killed in firearms altercations with law enforcement. Now, they use that as a basis to start their nonsense. They, they missed the point that uh, over 500 white Americans, whatever white is, I don't really know what that means, but I'm kind of pink, but um, over 500 white Americans were killed. Now, all things being equal, whites make up 76% of the population, despite the lies that are being spread by the media, uh, telling us that 50% of the population is white. It's actually 76% because most Hispanics consider themselves white, and they're accepted as that. So 76% of the population is white, so all things being equal, out of 1,000 shootings, it should be about 750 of the white. It's actually lower. But is that because they're hunting black men, or is it because that most of the violent crime to which police are responding occurs in neighborhoods which are predominantly inhabited by people who are committing crimes who tend to be black? Now, that's not assault on the black community. Um, you don't see a lot of shootings of rural black farmers, and there's plenty of those folks in the South and other parts of the country. It has to do with neighborhoods and the propensity for violence, and it happens to be in places where these folks live. You also see high numbers in places like California with Hispanic communities that have violent trends. That doesn't mean Hispanics are violent, because most of them are not. I'm just saying in communities where there's violence, that tends to be the case. So um, this is just a false narrative. It's mystery. And here's the thing. Let's just put this in common sense terms, and not to be morose here, Billy, but okay, so there are 13.5% of the population is black or African-American, whichever term you prefer to use. That's about 45 million Americans, okay? So all things being equal, about half of them are men, half of them are women. So let's go with 22.5 million black men. So in 2019, out of a couple hundred million encounters with people, law enforcement officers of all stripes and types shot and killed 308 black Americans. If they're hunting black men, they're the least effective hunters on the planet. That's all that you manage to shoot and kill out of, out of the, all the 22 million black men. It just, it, I'm, I'm trying to make light of the point that it's just an asinine argument. It's stupid. And they get away with it because people are not particularly well-informed. Listen, I, uh, not to run on too long, but um, when I was teaching at the Army War College, we would have interns that, that come there each year from top schools around the country because they want to, you know, pad their CV and learn a little something and do some research working for people working national security. So nothing wrong with that. But lots of schools have interns help out the profession in the summertime. I would um, try to meet a lot of these interns, learn about where they're from, and talk to them and maybe, you know, um, do a little mentoring if they're interested. And I took informal polls when I came back from Africa in 2015 because this is around the time of Freddie Gray and mm-hmm. Trayvon Martin and, you know, um, and Ferguson, Missouri, and all that other stuff. And, and I, I asked questions. And I, now, these are, these are well-educated undergraduate, some graduate students from very prestigious schools around America. Almost all of them are white, by the way. It's accounted as mostly white, but some were uh, kids of color. But um, I asked and I said, what is the percentage of America's population that's black? 
And the average answer I got was 35% of Americans are black. I had people tell me that for, these are students at Yale and Harvard and, and Bucknell saying that, that 40% of Americans are black. I'm like, are you high? <laughs> Do you have any idea what you're talking about? I mean, first off, this is not even the largest minority in this country anymore. Hispanics are technically the largest minority with 18% of the population. And these things are grossly burned out of proportion, grossly lied about. You know, this is the first country in the world that fought a civil war to end slavery. And no other country did that. We were the first to do it. We also, by the way, ended the transatlantic slave trade in 1807. Yet I listened to people lie from BLM and from the 1619 Project saying it's the original sin of America, as if America was the first country in the world to have slavery, and as if the only people enslaved were black. Now, they were the overwhelming number of people that were affected in this country, but the reality is that slavery persists to this day. 75 million people currently live in bondage, many in sexual slavery and disgusting conditions around the world, including the United States, and they don't even talk about that. Well, <laughs> well I mean, just, just think about the fact, too. Did they, did they forget that the, that the Vikings uh, came out of Norway and Sweden and went into England and other countries, and uh, whoever they didn't rape and pillage, they enslaved? Gee, uh, uh, what color well, were, I mean, what color were those slaves? Well, they were white, of course. I mean, that's 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 the history of um, you know. And then the Mongols did the same thing, and Arabs, the Barbary pirates, yeah. sailed as far as Iceland in the 1870s and raided Icelandic homes. There's a book written by an Icelandic Lutheran priest who was with his children and his wife living on the coast of Iceland. The Barbary pirates landed there. They burned their home. They took them away. They sold his wife into sexual bondage. Sold his kids off into slavery. Because he could speak Latin and he spoke um, Icelandic, of course, and I don't—I think he spoke another language. Um, he was kept as a scribe by the Bay of uh, Algiers, which is like the, the prince or sultan there. The Bay, it's B-E-Y. The Bay of Algiers kept him for 20 years as a slave. And at the end of 20 years, he granted him his freedom. He went back to Iceland. He never saw his children and wife again who were slaves in North Africa. And, of course, Icelandic. I don't know if people have been to Iceland lately, but that's some pretty white-looking folks there. Um, yeah, this is, this is the whole problem with this narrative. It falls apart very quickly with people who are rational, cogent, and even modestly informed. Uh, this constant nonsense. It's an effort to bifurcate society and divide. And the same thing happens in South Africa. Um, you start talking about racial tension in South Africa. A lot of these racial tensions simply don't exist. They exist in the news. They exist with political parties who have objectives. But average South Africans, it's not their life, whether they're white, black, or brown. Yes, there are tensions, and there, there will be tensions, but these things are stoked by, by political elites and by people who have an objective. Why? Because they profit from it. They profit from it. By turning South Africans on each other, turning Americans on each other, they distort the narrative, and they move through the seams, and they profit from that in more ways than one, whether it's getting power or it's getting privilege or patronage to hand out jobs and contracts. I mean, let's put this in perspective here very quickly. Affirmative action is racism. Uh-huh. Now, that's not, that's not anti-black. That's not pro-white or anything else. That's a fact. Racism is when someone sees people as different races, which is nonsense anyway, because we're all homo sapiens. It's a single race. Uh, they're just you know, physical difference between people. But when you see one race as different and then you act on it, that's racist. Now, when you have a law that says that people get preferential treatment based on their skin color, that's racism. That's what South Africa had under apartheid. That's what America's had for 40 years with affirmative action. How it can even be considered constitutional is beyond imagination. And not only that, but it's incredibly insulting to the people 
who are trying to aspire and then they get this tag on them. Well, you only got here because you were a quota hire or because of this. It's just, it doesn't serve anybody well. In South Africa, for instance, if South Africa was serious about improving the condition of poor black South Africans, um, and there's plenty of poor colored Indian and whites too, but improving the condition of poor black Africans, well, how about improving the education system? But actually, education today is demonstrably worse than it was at the end of apartheid. They have lowered the entrance standards to go to university instead of having 70% passing, say, in chemistry or physics or oh, algebra. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. It's down to 30% in one subject and 40% in another, and you get into university. No wonder people running around burning down the universities and toppling statues and have no idea what's going on. I, I hear South African politicians actually stand up in Parliament and say, We've been enslaved since young from Rebecca arrived here 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago? Listen, lady, as a member of Parliament, uh, here's the deal. There were no black South Africans 2,000 years ago. There were no white South Africans 2,000 years ago. The only people in Southern Africa were the Khoi and San 2,000 years ago, and they'd been there for about 50,000 years. The Bantu black Africans only arrived in South Africa about 1,600 years ago when the great migration of Bantu down the Rift Valley across the Limpopo River into what is today South Africa. And they continued to move south and into the center, and then eventually curved and went around towards the Great Fish River. But they didn't reach the Cape by the time that Europeans set up a permanent settlement in 1650. Exactly. So, I mean, that's just one example of the stupidity. Um, I, I, have, uh, I, I did a, um, a, a, um, a uh, broadcast the other day, and my viewing audience was watching me uh, give a presentation on South Africa's fragile democracy from the Great Decisions Lecture Series three years ago. And, um, and then, of course, I'm projecting on screen over it, and I'm pausing it and explaining stuff to them. So many of these young South Africans, black and white, that were in my stream are like, what? I didn't know that. So, for instance, they're not even being taught that South Africa as a country didn't exist until 1910. There was no South Africa before that. There was the Cape Colony. There was the Kosa Nation. There was the Venda Nation. There was the Zulu Empire. There was the Orange Free State, the Transvaal, Natalia, all these different entities, colonies, independent republics, African nations, empires. None of, there, was, there was no South Africa. It was the Union of South Africa Act by the British Parliament in 1910 that established South Africa for the first time ever. And that's when it became a country, but it didn't become an independent country technically until 1961. But the point is that South Africans aren't being taught this. They're being taught that white people are racist and black people are lazy and thieving and murdering and raping. And that doesn't serve anybody because neither one of those stories is true. Not Absol even remotely true. Absolutely. It's, it's, like, it's, like, it's like people say that well, it's like we just had these massive riots in South Africa. You know, the riots are because people are hungry. Nonsense. That's nonsense. People don't riot because they're hungry unless they're starving. The people looting weren't starving. I mean, there's some serious obesity going on there. People drive around in Mercedes. Either they owned them or stole them. And all with cars driving up to warehouses, they're looting and parking on the road and going down over the hill. No, this is not hunger. True hungry, truly hungry poor people do not steal unless it's an act of desperation because they're starving. People who steal have low moral values and no nothing redeeming about them. That's who steals, and that's yes. what's going on here. It's very frustrating because you hear this all the time from all the leftists here in Europe. Everywhere. Oh, it's wealth inequality. It's the Gini coefficient. Poor people. It's No, it's not, because if it was that, the entire world would be on fire right now. The majority of humans on this planet currently live in poverty. Many live in abject poverty. If poverty was a driving factor for social unrest, then every country would be facing a civil war right now. And the elites would be like the French Revolution. They'd be getting beheaded and guillotines. 
Yeah. It's much more complicated than the left makes it out to be at the point I'm trying to make. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I know exactly what you're saying too. And see, I, w- I was just on the uh, Philip D. Blackman show. Of course, Philip didn't know much of what's going on in South Africa until I started mm-hmm. talking to, to him about it. And we're talking about the land redistribution land reform this uh, expropriation without compensation and and he goes and his first re- reply is well i don't know that is stolen land and i'm like I, I like hit the brakes it's like wait just a moment um the black people in south africa are no more than descendants of settlers themselves i mean just be i mean let's let's take for example Let's take this country, for example, and let's say, pretend that Native Americans didn't exist. All we had on this continent was plants and animal life form. All right, so that's virgin land. That is land for the claiming there. But somebody who's who's a descendant from settlers in New York, this is the way Julius Malema thinks. So let's say you're a descendant of some, uh, some settlers in New York, and you fix your eyes on California. Well, I was born on this continent, so I have rights to the land that's uh, that's two thousand miles away. Julius Malema has this idea that you, if you were born in Africa, it doesn't matter because he. Uh, last I heard, he's descendants of Ethiopians. Um, just you know, just because. If you're from Africa, you have rights to any part of Africa. You um, and white people don't because white people came from Europe. But uh, but uh, come on, Africa is so damn big. Uh, I mean, well, it also it also it also ignores the reality, and it's also incredibly bigoted, even bordering on racism, to think that Africa is solely a continent of black people. North Africa is populated by a few hundred million Arabs. And Berbers, who are not black and are not Bantu in remote. The Ethiopians are not Bantu. They're a completely different sort of people, the Nihilithic people. And then you have the Pygmies of the Congo, uh, who are not related to the Bantus. You have the Khoisan, who are not part of that, who are brown-skinned people. And also, Africa is full of people from um, the Indian subcontinent, who are recent rivals, but also those who have been there for thousands of years in places like Madagascar. They've come there and mixed a long time ago, yeah. and it just when when you hear someone say that, it's just comical. Julius Malema is not descended from anybody in Ethiopia. He's he's a Bantu descendant, and he's clearly he's a grifter. It's it's not about yeah. land. It's not about this. This guy has just become fabulously wealthy through corruption and with his big mouth and yeah. by stoking hatred, and he's gotten away with it because he's he's a convenient escape valve or release valve for the African National Congress. It's kind of like watching The Wizard of Oz. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain, the great and powerful odd. Uh, yeah, because um, while the ANC is robbing the country blind, even in the midst of a pandemic and undermining the rule of law and destroying society, uh, they're happy to see people pay attention to Julius Malema and his buffoonery. Um, people think, seem to think that the EFF, the Economic Freedom Fighters' Party, is a threat to democracy. They are from a standpoint that they've committed crimes and no one's been arrested for them. But from a standpoint of the ballot box, they'll never get more than 15% of the vote in the country, no matter what happens. Uh, their the bigger concern is the ANC and their behavior, which is reprehensible. This is a party that claims the mantle of liberation and distorts and rewrites history every single day. They claim that they're the ones behind the Freedom Charter, which was written in 1955. It was written mostly by white South African Jews. 
uh, on behalf of the Pan-African Congress, a Marxist organization uh, led by black Africans, and many other organizations. The ANC was but one of the signatories and participants in this, not the leading architect. They take credit for the black consciousness movement, which came up in the 1970s and was spearheaded by a young university guy named Steve Biko, who was murdered in police custody. He was not in the ANC, and the, the black consciousness movement, which was basically... Um, be proud of who you are, uh, whether you're white, conscious, black, you know, be proud. You're black. There's no shame in that. And that's really what it was about. Um, and um, the ANC claims credit for that. They claim credit for having won the war. They didn't win anything. Their, their armed force, their Mkonto Wichizwe, was a joke. Uh, it was in the bush in Angola, and they killed more of their own people, who they thought were collaborators, and tortured more in Quattro, their camp out there, than were actually killed by their forces. It's just, It's just... The whole thing is a sick joke, and there are so many people so in, ill-informed. And the problem is that people are blinded by hatred because it's stoked. People need to look past skin color and look at content of character and look at facts, whether it's on this shores or it's on those shores. But the problem is that the people, that uh, the adults in the room aren't running the media. They aren't running universities. They aren't running political parties these days. And it's really a sad state of affairs, and it's, it's scary if it's going to get better or worse. Yes, well, we are running out of time, but there's one more uh, subject that uh, I'd, I'd like to uh, talk with you quickly about before we wrap it up here, Colonel. Um, mm-hmm. One thing that uh, does concern me and um, is, um, you know, with the recent arrest of uh, the buffoon Jacob Zuma, I mean, uh, if you ever heard that man try to count, it's it's just hilarious there. I'll... That's some comedy. But uh, nonetheless, though, he has said in the past that if he goes to jail, hey, he was going to spill the beans on the ANC. Now, one thing that does concern me on that note is um, they're already they're already rioting. Well, they'd probably be re- rioting regardless, but uh, it sparked the riots when he w- was arrested. But if something were to happen to him, this is what I fear is, is that all hell would break loose. If the ANC or somebody says, hey, he knows too much, get him out to the license plate factory and make it look like an accident or something like that. You know, um, if, something like, if something like that were to happen, I, I really feel that, uh, that that right there would be the finishing touch and, and uh, all hope would be lost, I think. What do you think? Well, it's very complicated from a standpoint that um, you're correct. The, the recent riots in KwaZulu-Natal, or KZN province, as it's called, and Hauteng, the, um, the economic lifeblood of the country, 40% of the gross domestic product is produced in that tiny province because that's the biggest population center and industrial center. Um, but um, the violence that occurred, it's true that the torch, the, 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 the spark that, that lit the tinder was the arrest of Jacob Zimmer, but... But that's only possible because of the negligence of the ruling party at doing anything when people were breaking the rules and breaking lockdown regulations and breaking the law. They've tolerated lawlessness forever. The economic freedom fighters have called for domestic terrorism. They didn't call it that. Uh, But they attacked uh, drug stores, 43 of them from one of the chains, over um, a dispute about an advertisement. And so they threw a Molotov cocktail at one, and they looted and destroyed 42 others, 43 total. Nothing happened to them. They showed up at a rally um, during a court case in the Free State over the murder of a young farm manager, and they destroyed all the rubbish bins, the trash cans, ripped down street signs, and they, they claimed they went there to protect state property, and then they destroyed it. Nobody was charged with a crime. At the same day, 
They held a big um, rally in which violated the lockdown rules and no social distancing, no mask. Not that I'm saying that's legitimate, but those were the rules. And then they exhorted their followers to burn the board down. They, they called them to arson. Um, they switched from Zulu to English so that we all knew what they're saying. Burn the boar out, burn them down. And when they finished, within 72 hours, 92,000 hectares of over 100,000 he- uh, acres of land were torched in the free state, that state right there, that province, and the Northern Cape. And it was thousands of uh, wild animals were burned to death and livestock was wiped out and no charges. Nothing was done. When Zuma, the person you're talking about, the former president, um, claimed that he was unhealthy, he couldn't go to prison, he's 79, he'll die in prison, he needs special care. He goes out and walks with his followers with no mask on, no social distancing, hundreds, thousands of followers. Nobody's arrested, despite the fact that any gathering is currently illegal in South Africa under their rules. We can debate the rules, but anyway. Then, then that was on one day. The next day, he holds a big rally with a megaphone up there, and nobody's arrested. So the government not taking action gave the message to people that you can do what you want because we're not going to react. And then when these riots started, it was days before anybody did anything. The president was silent for eight days before he even mentioned it in an address when he extended the lockdown. And then the ninth day, he finally came out, but the damage had been done then. At least 100,000 people were involved in this looting and whole-scale destruction. And while it was unfolding, they were destroying infrastructure. Radio towers were, were, were destroyed. Four FM radio stations were ransacked and destroyed so they couldn't communicate. A water treatment facility was attacked. The main artery into the country from the port into all of the southern Africa, the N3 motorway was attacked and destroyed. Uh, the list goes on and on. They destroyed critical infrastructure. This has nothing to do with hunger, has nothing to do with wealth disparity. This has to do with an eternal civil war inside the ruling party, which is collapsing as we speak. And I've been predicting this for several years, and I've seen it build up to this. But the thing is, with what's happening here is that um, the looting, uh, the excuse was Jacob Zuma. If he dies, that would be an excuse to do something else. But it's not the reason it's happening. The reason it's happening is that there's an eternal fight, and the fight is the camp that Zoom is in that wants to steal everything, wants to give out patronage contracts and hand out money and pilfer things. And then Ramaphosa, not that it's any better, but they're fighting so that they can do a little bit of that. And that's the war that's going on, and the victims are 59 million South Africans. Well, I shouldn't say 59 million, because you take out the members of the ANC and their little, their little uh, entrepreneurs, tenderpreneurs, as we call them, their, their corrupt cronies. That means there's 59 and a half million South Africans and half a million scumbags. <laughs> yes. Well, I hate to say it, uh, we are running out of time, and time does really lapse by, especially I uh, listen to somebody like you who's uh, an oil well of uh, valuable information and i appreciate that so we're going to hit a music set here coming up but before i get to that uh why don't you go ahead and give yourself a plug where can uh, the listeners find you oh a number of places but right now uh, i have been censored by uh the poo tube as i affectionately call youtube but uh you can catch my daily live streams on there and my prepared videos about strategic topics not just on south africa but on all of africa also on the u.s and china and others who influence it uh, just look up Chris Wyatt Africa. It's uh, W-Y-A-T-T, Chris Wyatt Africa, and you'll be able to find it. You can subscribe there. I had 22,000 subscribers. YouTube wiped my uh, channel out for a video that wasn't even on my channel. I had deleted it after they changed the rules because I was concerned. And then a month later, they come back and say, oh, um, we've removed your channel for a strike because you had this video up, and it wasn't even there. So I create a new channel. But um, you'll also find me, Chris Wyatt Africa, on Odyssey, if you follow Odyssey, or on Rumble. Uh, even Gaze TV, which is based in Hong Kong these days. And one final thing is I have a podcast called All Things Africa on Podbean, podbean.com. 
and they've got a free app if you want. And that's uh, all yeah. audio. Of course, I do a radio call-in show on there. So Podbean is all things Africa. But on YouTube and other platforms, just look for Chris White Africa and you can find me. Thank you. Yes, yes, as I am on uh, Podbean as well. But, uh, Chris, I really appreciate your time. I, I actually prefer to refer to you as Colonel because I just feel that's more respectful. But I really appreciate your time. And uh, please don't stop doing what you're doing. And let's keep fighting this fight. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much. I appreciate being on your program. You bet. Take care. All right. There you have the interview with retired Army Colonel Chris Wyatt. Time to go to our next music set. Coming up, we have Forever Still, going to be followed by Cody Canada and The Departed. It'll be followed by Dead, spelled D-E-D, India Morell, and Nikki Breyer. Be right back after this. How dare you and who in the hell fuck do you think you are? You're listening to Outlaw Radio, where we're proper gentlemen, because we always ask... Mind if I fart? You really know how to waste a Cialis, don't you? You're abusing my fan.
know what I mean? I, see, I didn't move into this fucking uh, KY2 thing. I'm not involved in that. I remember last year, everybody was all saying, oh, KY2's on its way. Everybody's so excited. My fucking wife, that fucking moron, followed me around the house. We need to prepare. Prepare what? What if a bomb comes? We need water. Oh, so in other words, if a bomb comes, I gotta be stuck in a cave with you for 10 years. Let the bomb hit me on the fucking head. Do me a favor.
Impossible to do what she do Having late night 
In South Africa, genocide of white people, black-on-white violence, is rampant and ongoing. The South African mainstream media has kept this genocide hush-hush, and South Africa's politicians have been silent about it. It's time for the silence to end. Enter USAC, the United South Africa Coalition. USAC Incorporated comprises groups and individuals around the world working together to create public global awareness of the genocide in South Africa and to develop community restoration programs that will make South Africa a safe place for all races to thrive. To join USAC and for more information about USAC and what you can do, visit USAC.center. That's U-S-A-C dot center. USAC, working to bring back a safe, truly unified South Africa. This is The Renegade Show. You have three different scenarios here, and I'll give them to you. No, I said scenarios, not Cheerios. Coming to you coast to coast and around the world on your favorite radio station. How did you get Cheerios from scenarios? All right, it's time for the Renegade Pick of the Week countdown. Here we go, counting it down all the way to number one. Who farted? Yeah, we'd like to welcome you to the Renegade family. Does anybody even remember Doogie Hauser? I think it's fair to warn you that by listening to this show, you're committing a misdemeanor in four states. Three children are asking their parents where babies come from. Two children run away, and one mother ends up crying by the end of the show. This is the Renegade Show. Go to Facebook.com slash Radio Chris Master to find out days, times, and stations of where you can catch the Renegade Show. Chaz Mitchell Custom Hats makes and sells custom hats with a Western influence. These hats are not cheesy, one-size-fits-all, except they're not cowboy hat knockoffs. Chaz Mitchell will custom design and build a genuine hat just for you, the way you want it. Chaz will actually measure your head, talk with you about the hat you desire, make it, and deliver it to you. You'll make a statement every time you put on your hat. Originally from Jigs, Nevada, Chaz Mitchell grew up cowboy and alongside his father, Waddy Mitchell. They built their first hats together at a workshop in Elko, Nevada. Chaz recalls his father once telling him, make a hat he would be proud to wear. After years of practice and studying hats and their owners, Chaz knows what makes a good hat maker. It's understanding that a hat doesn't only fit the circumference of the head, but also the personality of the owner. Get in touch with Chaz today, and he'll build you a hat you will be proud to wear. Visit Chaz Hats, that's C-H-A-Z-H-A-T-Z dot com. Support Outlaw Radio and Friends and buy some cool stuff in the store section of OutlawRadioABS.com. Show the world how much you love Outlaw Radio with Outlaw Radio t-shirts and hats. In the CTM store, a service of Caravan to Midnight, find items to help make your life easier and better, including water purification by Berkey, delicious long-term storable food by My Patriot Supply, the New Eden Nutritional Support System, the Ionic Toothbrush System, a better way to clean your teeth, the Invisible Mask, a negative ion generator, that hangs from your neck like a pendant that mitigates incoming pollution. The high ion bio key quantum scalar energy pendant, EMF mitigating fabrics and clothing, and some really cool infrared night vision binoculars. In the Cranked Up Coffee Shop, a service of Cranked Up Live. Entertain your taste buds with coffee that even the aficionados love. Some of the best blends from around the world, including Serato and Grindhouse Brew. Visit outlawradioabs.com and click on the store link. A service of Outlaw Radio and AOW Productions. Shut the fuck up! 
nondescript building in a little hick town. This is Outlaw Radio. I'm not in the mood to deal with you today, you stupid asshole! 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 All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Outlaw Radio, brought to you by Coldcock Whiskey. Raise your glass, take a shot. You must be 21 years of age or older to drink. Hunter Athletic, gear up, let's train. USAC, the United South Africa Coalition, and Neutronics IGF-1, Making Men, Men Again. The songs you just heard, you just heard Nikki Breyer with Dancing in the Headlights. Before that, India Morell with The Exit. Before that, Dead, spelled D-E-D with Hate Me. Before that, Cody Canada and The Departed, If You're Ever in Oklahoma. And starting off the whole set... Forever Still with Scars. All right, ladies and gentlemen, as much as I miss doing uh, News of the Weird, Chris has not been available. Hopefully we'll get him back uh, once in a while for some segments. But at the meantime, it is time for The Steve Solution. I don't care who you're voting for, Democrat or Republican, you need to be able to prove who you are. Because what's to stop tons and tons of individuals for whatever party, for whatever office, of registering repeatedly and sending different people into polling stations or the same person into polling stations over and over and over again using different voter registration cards when they've obviously voted fraudulently several times over. This is the Steve Solution with Stephen James on Outlaw Radio. And what's going on, Stephen? What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? How's it going, kids? So, it is that time every four years, or in this case, you know, add one just because of all the bullshit. It is Olympic time, which simultaneously pisses me off and thoroughly excites me. And there's not a lot of subjects that do both. I find it fascinating because the Olympics, again, usually typically happen every four years. And obviously, it's a huge event. Everybody's interested in it, and yet none of us know why. Well, I've always enjoyed the Olympics every four years. Um, and uh, when I first heard uh, a couple months ago, they said uh, in Tokyo, there's not going to be any of this raising fists bullshit. There's not going to be a Black Lives Matter, a White Lives Matter, or Yellow Lives Matter, whatever. There's not going to be any of that shit permitted. But they still found a way to wokeify the Olympics. I wokeify. Is that even a fucking word? I don't know. I just if, made it up. If not, it should be a word. <laughs> yeah. So we got people who are ashamed to take the podium and uh, stand for the national anthem. You know, because we we got all had to start with Colin Crapper, Nick. You know, I never understood that one. Okay, so you agree to go to the Olympics and represent your country. That's literally why you were at the Olympics, to represent your country in your various field of athleticism. But you refuse to stand for the national anthem? Then you should be... They should literally have to sign something saying, if you don't stand for the national anthem of whatever country you belong to, not just the U.S., but if you refuse, then you no longer represent the U.S. at the Olympics. Or whatever, whatever yeah. country. Yeah. Well, um, since we're on this subject, uh, have you? Do you know who Chelsea Wolf is, Stephen? 
No, but I know I've hated every person named Chelsea in the history of the name Chelsea. Okay, so uh, take a moment and uh, Google Chelsea Wolf BMX. She was my yeah, idiot. If that's an Olympic sport. Oh, it does take some endurance to do some of that shit. Now, it's speed walking. That, that I don't understand. Some of this shit belongs in the X Games, and some of it belongs in senior early hour at the local mall. <laughs> so it was it was Chelsea what now? Wolf, W-O-L-F-E. So talk about meth mouth when you see those teeth. That's Wolf Olympics. Oh, I can't wait. Now, for one thing, he, um, she, uh, it. Are you sure you are you, are you sure you're using the prop? Whoa! <laughs> Good <laughs> fucking god. <laughs> well, so you know, it's only fitting that she's competing in the Summer Olympics because she has summer teeth. Yeah. Some are this way, some are that way, some are going left, some are going right, some are going north, some are going south, and some are going directions that aren't even on the fucking map. What the fuck? But there's something worse, Stephen. And what, that. She's got a sex tape? Oh, don't. Why do you have to say that? Because that's an image right there. For one, that is a transgender competing in the women's oh. division. There's that shit, and then it gets worse than that. It gets worse than that. Its dream is to win a gold medal and burn an American flag during the national anthem on the podium. Why in the hell would anyone on the U.S. Olympic Committee allow this person, somebody who obviously hates America... To be on an Olympic team. Something along those lines. Should, they wanted to take Michael Phelps's gold medal away because he smoked weed for God fucking sakes. And you're going to allow this shit? I agree with Jorge Masvidal because he recently talked about what a fool. And he's got it right. What a fool Callan, or excuse me, uh, Colin Crappernick is and... There's, yeah, there's Krapernick wearing a t-shirt of Fidel Castro. Um, Jorge Masvidal, who fights in the UFC, his family came from Cuba. And, uh, yeah, what are they doing in Cuba right now? They're waving American flags and demanding freedom after over, what, damn near 70 years of communist oppression. Go back to the movie Scarface, one of the very first scenes. Uh, you a yeah. communist? You a communist? Yeah. yeah. What does uh, Tony Montana say? I kill a communist for fun. There's for not a green card. I carve him up real nice. There's nothing you do that Castro hasn't done to me already. You ask any Cuban refugee in this country why they're here. You know, boats go to other islands. They don't go to other islands, at least not of the numbers that they come here. They brave death to get to freedom in the United States because of the horrid conditions in that country. And that prick wants to run around wearing a fucking Fidel Castro t-shirt. Well, guess what? He wants to wear it 
fucking send his ass to Cuba. Let him live there. I say we take these woke motherfuckers who are all about the communist dream and think Castro is such a is such a great great man. Let's trade these cocksuckers for these refugees that that are fighting to come here and live free. Let them see how they fucking like it after one week. Yeah, the problem is people like Colin Kaepernick, if he did ship his ass to Cuba, they would treat him like a fucking god and he would, you know, be this idol and spokesperson and all that shit. So he would never truly see the downside of communism and he would just keep perpetuating it. But take a serious look. Name one time in history communism has ever fucking worked. Never. Not once. Oh, only, only in an indigenous community has socialism worked, and it. And even a, even a wise man told me that uh, that's that system is only for tribalism. It is not for and and a, a government with an economy, or it's just going to fuck things up. Well, when you're talking about three hundred people in the fucking rainforest that have to work together because their community depends on all of that and they have to share everything. Of course, a socialistic society where everyone shares and everything works, just like it worked for the Native Americans, of course, and when you know bigger, badder people showed up with guns and said, hey, fuck off. Yeah. Oh, wait, you can't say that the, the woke people will say, uh, you know, we murdered the Indians. Well, that they were better fighters, they had won, so... I mean, nothing against them. I, I, I have a relative that lived two that lives two blocks away from me. My uncle's wife is a full blood Cherokee Indian, and even she says, "Well, maybe we should have fought better." Well, hell, I got I got nothing to say. Being part Cheyenne, except that my indigenous ancestors were the finest warriors of any Native American tribe. But hey, that's my tribe, and I'm going to be biased towards it. And that's anyway. Well, back to the Olympics. So we're now letting transgender people compete. That's wonderful, uh, I guess. Yep. Yeah, there's a yeah, there's so one out of New Zealand. As long as its testosterone levels are down, it can compete in the women's division of weightlifting. Well, I'll talk about an unfair advantage. And not saying there's not some amazingly strong women out there. Obviously, I'm a fan of professional wrestling, and there's been some kick-ass, badass bitches. Uh, MMA, you look at, and professional wrestling, you look at women like Ronda Rousey, who I would not fuck with. Uh, everything she tells me to do, yes, ma'am, jump how high, because that woman will beat my ass, but she's an actual woman. Or that, yeah, there's also uh, Becky Levi, who was actually... She's forgotten entity, but she was pretty much the first face of women's MMA. She's just not, uh, just, just not uh, there because she doesn't have the sex appeal. She's actually uh, tall and broad-shouldered and just not quite as pretty. But she wrestled and coaches men's wrestling. So, oh, I guess if they're allowed to coach, that that should that was another issue. If, why can't if if a girls team can have a man as a coach? Well, gee, so the uh, uh, team 
I can't remember what team it is, but one of the uh, WNBA has Bill Lambeer as a coach. Well, why not? He's a two-time champion in the NBA and can bring some knowledge to the table. There's nothing wrong with the opposite gender coaching. I have nothing. No, you're, you're, it's the difference between knowledge and physiology. Yes. Now, if he wanted, you know, if you, if LeBron James suddenly says, my name is Lorraine James and I'm going to play for the LA Sparks, I've got a fucking problem with that. I have a serious problem with that. I mean, mention the fact that no WNBA team could, you know, pay LeBron James's contract, but that's a whole other issue. (laughs) Still, I mean, when it comes to the Olympic Games, Look, I get there's transgender people out there. Whatever, live your life, that's fine. But don't try to make your fucking moral statement by competing. You know, you want to compete? Then fine, be a transgender person, but compete with your... There should be an Olympic laws. You must compete as your birth gender. Simple as that. Or if they get enough of them to to make a division of their own, I have nothing. Transgender division is fine. That's perfectly cool, too. Now, Steve, you know, I love America. You love America. But there are some Americans that need to lose. And I was happy to see the U.S. women's soccer team lose. Because, Because they want to... America is so horrible and racist and sexist and... uh. I want to take... Women in particular that have that argument, particularly the sexism argument, I would like to ship them and let them live in Saudi Arabia for a while. Oh, shit! Okay. Uh, Not like a real long time, just for like, you know, a couple of months. Just go live there. It, it not not even Saudi Arabia. Saudi guidelines. I mean, how about this? Even Mexico, and I, I'm not talking border cities like Tijuana or uh, or what's what the fuck's the one next to El Paso? I already forgot, but uh, let uh, whatever. But you know, the, not the ones that are close. Juarez, yeah, not the ones that are close to the. Uh, U.S. border. I'm talking like further south, like Mexico City, and see how much uh, women's rights really matter down there. Or, I mean, honestly, you send women into, uh, you know, African-American women talk about, you know, black freedom. Go to a any one of a couple dozen countries in Africa and see how well you're treated there. Yeah, yeah. especially I think among the Swahili tribe, the men are in charge. Uh, the Shaka Zulu killed any woman he impregnated. So. Yeah, that's, I mean, the whole thing has gotten, it's one of the reasons I wanted to talk about the Olympics tonight. It has gotten entirely too political, and this is the place that I think should be the least political. This is purely should be about athleticism. 
it is a chance for you know most nations on the planet to come together and compete in the same events in a friendly competition. And that's what the Olympics was originally designed to do. It was designed to bring nations together in the spirit of friendly competition. And now it's become all of this shit to the point where, I mean, in the past few Olympics, the Olympic Committee is handing out condoms to the athletes. The change in that in this year, they're still handing out condoms to the athletes, but because of COVID, now they're saying they're not giving them to the athletes to use. They're giving them to the athletes to take home and pass out in their communities to spread the word about safe sex. What the fuck does the Olympics have to do about safe sex? By the way, um, we've already tried that back in the 90s. I mean, when the, it seems like the AIDS scare didn't affect anybody. It seems like from the mid-80s to the 90s, you have... But Don on TV, if you're going to have sex, use a condom, and that they're handing out condoms in schools. Yet, here, when I lived in Ohio, for Christ's sakes, uh, there, there's a teenage couple, they're not ready to have kids, and then they have one kid, and uh, and he's, he's like, um, I, I just can't use a condom. You know, I understand it's sometimes uncomfortable, and so... It kind of numbs the good feeling, you know, but, but you went, it's not my preference, but you know what? I'd rather not have an STD or, you know, an unwanted pregnancy. I'm for them. I get it. But when does, why does the Olympics need to be a fucking social statement? I mean, I understand, uh, an, an athlete can be a role model, but, uh, come on. I mean, is this ain't these this bunch of freaks and perverts and fucking haters and all that, that, those aren't the kind of role models that I want for my children. Well, let's face it. The first, you know, huge Olympic role model in modern times was, you know, Bruce Jenner. And look how that fucking turned out. We need to yeah. stop using athletes. In any way, shape, or form, as fucking role models. I got no problem with uh, Bruce Jenner, Caitlyn no, Jenner. I've got, a, I've got a lot of problems with Caitlyn Jenner. I don't have problems with Caitlyn Jenner. In fact, if she can unfuck California because Gavin Newsom has done a bang up job himself, you know, if 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 that person can uh, do a better job than Gavin Newsom, then all the power to him. I don't give a shit if they're transgender. Not to mention the fact. That uh, despite having the surgery and being what he or she is, is against transgenders competing in the women's division. And this is coming from a transgender says, hey, it's that, not fair. That is one of the things I actually happen to completely agree with Bruce Jenner, that transgenders should not compete against the opposite gender. Bruce is not running around saying, you know, I'm a woman now, so I should run women's, women's track and field or triath uh, triathlon is what he did. I I'm all for that, and I'm all for Bruce winning 
the California election, not because I think he'll unfuck California. I don't think anybody can ever unfuck California. But because I want to see every woke person's head completely fucking explode. Because they want to go, I support the first ever transgender governor of a state in the United States. But I hate Bruce Jenner's policies. And they're fucking, they're just, they're, it's going to be like, uh, you know, the whole thing in the science fiction movies where you ask the fucking computer the question that it can't fucking compute and it, you just see smoke coming from it. That's going to be all the woke people in California. Their heads are just going to go, they're going to fucking fry. It's going to be wonderful. <laughs> oh, man. I, you think it's going to be more epic than the things we heard from Chip? <laughs> it's going to be... Less intelligible, I can tell you that much. But. <laughs> it's going to be less intelligible than what Chip did. <laughs> I I agree, though. Yeah, Chip's got more sense than some of these fuckers, and that well, says I mean, a lot. I, it, when, when their brains hit meltdown, they're going to be like, I... Uh, they're just going to... They're, they're going to fucking vapor lock. But back to the Olympics. Uh, no, um, there are some new... Uh, stuff in the Olympics, but uh, just as of the recording of this show, I uh, did want to give a, a, a quick update, and I know by the time this airs, obviously all this is going to change, but uh, there is a medal count, even though it just started. China is number one right now with uh, two gold medals and a bronze, so wow. The Islamic Republic of Iran is in second place with one medal. Gold, though. Wow. India, third place, or tied for third place. Tied for second, however you want to put it. Uh, they have... Uh, oh, that doesn't make sense. By the Olympics' own website, they can't count. But Iran has got uh, a silver. Uh, ROC, which I don't know what that is, the Republic of Chad. Uh, no, um, I think no, uh, Republic of Congo. I think that's Congo. Africa. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, they've got. Um, let's see. They are they're rocking a silver, so good for them. Uh, Siberia, oddly enough, in the Summer Olympics, Siberia. Mm -hmm has won a medal in the Summer Olympics. I think that's kind of ironic, but uh, they're rocking a silver, so that's good. Indonesia's got uh, a bronze, and Switzerland's got a bronze. So, not a bad start for them. Uh, not so great for the U.S. I'm not sure what events have taken place so far, but at least at the time that we're recording this, we haven't hit the fucking charts yet. Well, it's, with all these idiots, I'm pretty sure... Let me ask you this. We, we've only got about three minutes left here, but uh, let me ask you this. They don't win something. Do you think they're going to they're gonna blame it on something else but uh, other than themselves that they didn't compete hard enough or they just went up against a, a better opponent? Yeah, well, see, that used to be the thing is, you know, when we didn't win and they interviewed the uh, competitor, the athletes, it was, hey, they just outdid us. We're going to do better next time as a true athlete does. But in this case, no, they're going to whine and cry about something. I fucking guarantee it. Uh, but before we go, I want to talk real quick. Uh, there's a few new events at the Olympics this year. 
The first one kind of surprised me because I didn't realize this has not been an Olympic event. And it's the only one I was surprised that was not already an Olympic event. Karate. Nice. Yeah, I did not know that karate was not an Olympic event. And don't get me wrong, I don't follow the Olympics super heavy, but great. I'm fucking, I'm stoked for that shit. And I think, I believe Cobra Kai is uh, specifically responsible for karate being in the Olympics this time around. So that's awesome. Karate is in there. Wonderful. Uh, one I'm not excited about and don't understand why skateboarding. And I personally blame Tony Hawk and his fucking ass for that shit. So we got that. And uh, sport climbing. I'm a little indifferent on sport climbing. Uh, it is definitely, it's a difficult thing. You're climbing at an incredibly fast rate and all that shit. And I know it's very physical and it's kind of interesting to watch, but is it an Olympic event? I don't know. Better than skateboarding anyway. Oh. Uh, surfing, which by the way, there's great surfing in Tokyo. So that's kind of cool. Um, I'm, again, I'm kind of surprised this wasn't already an Olympic event, so I'm interested in surfing. Nothing against it. The second biggest surprise, though, baseball and softball. How has this not been in an Olympic event all along? Now, baseball's been in the Olympics for a long time, but... Um, but we've added yeah. softball now. Yeah. How about this, though, Stephen? Just because uh, we got to wrap this up, but uh, would you object? And may, you probably you may not know what I'm saying at first, but would you object to bringing back pancration to the Olympics? Uh, well, if you first tell me what pancration is, I will give you my opinion because I've never heard of that. Pancration is the Greek word meaning all powers. Basically, back in the original Olympics, boxing, wrestling. And uh, brought brought the two together, so it was actually the first ever MMA. You know, given the popularity of MMA in every almost every country that competes in the Olympics has some form of MMA. Uh, no, I thoroughly believe that has its place in the Olympics. I think that would probably be one of the more interesting uh, competitions at the Olympics if they had an MMA competition. And I'm thoroughly interested in that. I think the reason we're not seeing that is too many variations in weight classes, but if they could narrow that down a little bit, I think that would probably be the top draw for the Olympics. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, let's face it, who doesn't want to see modern... A modern-day Brock Lesnar win a gold medal. All right, so we, we we are out of time, I'm sorry to say. Got to wrap it up. Uh, what's on the agenda for next week is yet to come. Well, no, actually, next week is going to be Olympics Part 2 because I okay. think we got a lot more to talk about. All right, so we're going to end the show with Sister Kill Cycle and Cruel World. Thank you very much for tuning in, and we'll be back next week. Are you tired of modern pop music that sounds like a dog fucking a squeaky toy? Well, that's why you're listening to Outlaw Radio. We tell bad bed music to piss up a rope, 
We give you our opinions, and if a fight breaks out, so fucking what? This is Outlaw Radio. you're in a band or maybe you run a radio show or podcast whatever you do you want to market your brand with custom made apparel look no further than fresh baked tees t-shirts hoodies tank tops caps beanies koozies banners and even masks you can get them all custom made from fresh baked tees prices are reasonable and negotiable Simply go to freshbakedtees.com, submit your logo, and place your order today. 
If you've been searching for a show that talks about what's trending in the world, entertainment gossip, stupid news, and more, sizzling talk radio that is not dumbed or watered down, a show that is not for pussies, then you need to stop searching and check out the Charles Richardson Show. It's uncensored talk radio. No crybabies. No losers. No futtards. Charles Richardson and crew bring it 100% with real opinions. If you can't take it, get the fuck out. You can even call the show and flap your gums, provided you have a brain. For the 411 stations and showtimes, like The Charles Richardson Show on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash The Charles Richardson Show. Some material may not be suitable for children under 18. The Charles Richardson Show. You want some? Come get some. Tragedy introduced us to the heroes of San Bernardino's police department. But tragedy is routine in their city, where politicians slash their budget and cut their ranks. Now violent gangs wage bloody turf wars every night. They have all the guns they want, but law-abiding California citizens live in fear. Their governor says he serves them while he releases 2,300 convicted murderers back to the same streets they terrorize. The elites lecture about compassion, but if there was even an inkling that these killers would head for Beverly Hills or Berkeley, they'd die behind bars. The elites and their families will always be protected. It's the law-abiding, average Californians who face nightfall alone with their faith and what's left of their guns. I'm the National Rifle Association of America, and I'm freedom's safest place. Hi, it's the Big Voice Guy. The one who intros and promos the show you're listening to right now. Hi, my name is Jim Hunt. I voice for a growing list of internet and terrestrial radio stations, podcasts, and businesses. I'd love to spread the word about yours, too. No matter if the message is serious or silly. Whether you want the delivery to be hard-hitting, voice of authority, or conversational, warm, and fuzzy. From fully produced station imaging and commercials to custom phone system messages on hold and IVR prompts, voiceovers for computer games to narrations for presentations, even post-production audio editing and audio cleanup services. Yeah, I do them too. I'm your guy. I do business as Jim Hunt voiceovers and audio services. My rates are reasonable and negotiable because I love internet radio too. Visit my website, jimhuntvo.com. I'm Jim Hunt, at your service. Put my voice and audio production skills to work for you. Let's do this. You have been listening to Outlaw Radio. Be sure to leave your feedback by calling 208-957-7016. All feedback is played and replied to on the show. Visit our official website at outlawradioabs.com. Outlaw Radio is a presentation of AOW Productions. Well, here I am sitting on the porch. 
writing another song about Waylon Willie, David Allen Cole. You can't go wrong. Such great outlaw boys just like me. Jones. Can't go wrong. 